Thanks for subscribing to the ZonCon podcast, the podcast all about Amazon conversations. These are the tips and tricks to become an Amazon millionaire. Here is your host, Andrew Erickson. He is all things Amazon, and so is this podcast. Let's have an Amazon conversation. Hey, guys. Welcome to the ZonCon podcast. I'm pretty excited today. I am here with a big, fancy New York lawyer, CJ Rosenbaum. He brands himself as the... Amazon lawyer, not a, but the, the, the Amazon lawyer. So he is the person that people in our community go to when we get our Amazon account suspended, suspended without notice, suspended because an IP claim is suspended for whatever reason. It doesn't matter. Like whenever those things happen, CJ's here to help us. CJ's law firm is the number one firm that helps suspend Amazon sellers get their accounts back. Hey, CJ, thanks for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. By the way, I'm not. I'm the best because of my team. Because we are a whole firm around the world. And I'm just like blessed to have such tremendous people working with us. And that's why we are the best in the entire world at getting sellers back on. It's it's not me. It's just that we have just a, a sick, incredible team. Nice. Oh, that's really good to hear. You guys are all based in New York, right? All the writing, all the account reviews, all the brand protection, all the plans of action are all done in New York. But we have teams in Shenzhen, China, and in Iwu, China. And most of the year, we have someone stationed in either Australia or the Philippines, just so we can cover around the clock for sellers and also you know, help sellers when they have problems with their factories in China. Oh, wow. Nice. So you have a couple people in China. I'm guessing, are you supporting Chinese clients or are you supporting like kind of Americans that are having Chinese issues? Both. Both. We represent a lot of sellers who are located in mainland China and in Hong Kong and all over Asia. We also help domestic sellers when they have problems with their sourcing or intellectual property issues with their own factories over in China. Nice. So what's the deal with the whole Chinese trademark thing? Like I've been told by a couple different people that, oh my God, the Chinese are going to trademark your name and they're going to stop your imports and you're going to be screwed and you got to get that trademark right now. They are so right. First of all, the Chinese are incredibly adept and fast business people. And in China, it's not that they're doing anything you know, that they perceive as wrong. In China, whoever files first owns the rights. That is their IP system over there, where here, it's whoever uses the trademark first owns the rights. They're just following their own law, but they're doing it here. So if you are using a mark and you haven't filed yet, file with the USPTO as soon as this webinar is over. Awesome. And then what about in China, though, right? The trademark in China, you have to, it's not just good enough to have it registered in the US. It has to be like in China as well, right? That's my understanding, at least. Your sales in the US will be protected by your US trademark. In China, let's say, you know, you start to explode and someone else in China files your mark, they will own it in China and you won't be able to get it back. And President Trump had this problem. Michael Jordan had the problem. Range Rover. Apple actually lost litigation in China because a Chinese business filed for iPhones for leather goods before Apple. And they went all the way up to the top court in Beijing and lost. So if your product's going to explode and you want to sell in China, you got to file in China as well. Okay. That's good to know. That's a little scary. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Um, Man, even Apple got their IP issues. That's crazy. Even so, even right now, to this day, Apple does not own iPhone when it comes to leather goods in China. Another company does. Oh my gosh. Did they, they didn't just buy it from them? Nope. The company wouldn't sell. They're making boatloads of money selling iPhone leather phone cases. Wow. And Jeez. I don't know why uh, they did. It's not like Apple was short of cash. Yeah. <laughs> 
So I'm curious, now that we're talking about just getting our account suspended in, you know, let's just assume we're a U.S. citizen based in the U.S. or, or well, I guess anybody, anybody with an Amazon account who gets suspended, do you know, like, what are the major reasons that you might get suspended? All right. The number one cause of account and listing suspensions is this nonsense of inauthentic, where Amazon wants to see where the seller obtained their products. We call it sourcing. Where did they buy their inventory that they then either delivered to Amazon's consumers or sent into FBA? And that's all invoice-based. And we have a whole, we have probably a couple of dozen different videos and articles about what you need to make sure your invoices have on them and things you don't want on your invoices before you send them into Amazon. Number two would be IP complaints, baseless complaints, as well as complaints that have merit. Can you hit like some of the big things on the invoices? Like you have to have like what name and factory or something like that? All right. So every invoice on the left-hand side, it's all about the factory or the distributor or the liquidator, wherever you're sourcing your products. And you want to make sure that if you do some research, as if you are Amazon staff in India, that if you Google Earth it, it's a commercial establishment. Mm -hmm. Someone answers the phone, that they have an internet presence. Like If you're buying from a supplier that doesn't have an internet presence, find a new supplier. Okay, or tell them to spend the 200 bucks and build a website because Amazon staff in India goes online and they do research based upon your invoices. So the left-hand side about your supplier has to be something they can verify and preferably with a phone that they actually pick up and will verify your purchases. Okay, so do you have to have, I guess like with, with that, do you have to have that invoice for every single product or do you need to have like one golden invoice that like if I ever get in trouble, like this is my one golden invoice? Best business practice is to maintain them electronic files so at the drop of a dime, you can send them off to Amazon very, very quickly. So it's a business practice. So as you get them in, we used to give people software to scan and that kind of stuff, but you know, sellers are more savvy now than they were you know, in 2016, 2015. So you need to have a system where you're saving every invoice that you can identify which ones you need for any particular product so you can send them right out to Amazon if you get an authentic. Okay. Yeah, good. So that seems like something relatively easy because you have to make an invoice anyways, right? And might as well make sure you get the right form and everything to set up. So I will make sure to grab a link to one of your videos that goes through and explains it. And that will be in the show notes. If you just hit your little podcast player and pull up, there'll be a link right there on how to with separate invoice. That's good to know. Okay, so so we have our nice, beautiful invoices. We're good to go. So we own a trademark and we've filed our copyrights too. Is that, is that a thing we should worry about copyrights? You own copyright without filing anything. You can't enforce it in the court system without registering it. So generally, I would say you don't have to. There are certain things you, you may want to copyright. Like if you have your own slogan or a saying or something that's really particular to you, you may want to file it. It's pretty easy to do. But generally, sellers, you know, you don't have to. You own instantaneous copyright in your verbiage and in your pictures. And that's all you really need as an Amazon seller. Okay. So let's say we have everything all set up, right? What other reasons would we get suspended? If we, if we already have our invoices set up and our trademark and everything, are there other big major suspension reasons? It's the IP complaints. Amazon has like no filter for intellectual property right complaints. Anybody and anybody can make an IP complaint on Amazon. And Amazon treats it as if it is 100% valid with like no review. The only complaints we see that Amazon will ignore is if the complainant includes like the words authorization or distribution or map, you know, map pricing. Then Amazon will ignore it. They'll even ignore meritorious complaints if the complainant puts those words in. That's how minimal the training is. 
These things go to a team called MPA in India. So these things happen all the time. It's part of doing business. And that's a huge source of suspensions for Amazon sellers. Okay. So uh, hopefully we can kind of like be a little proactive about our suspensions and have our invoices and have our trademarks, everything set up. But now let's say, dun, 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 you actually do get suspended. What's our first course of action? All right. If you receive an inauthentic, for example, and you have now maintained all of your invoices or all of your documents as you created your own brand, you're going to have those lined up and you're going to email those to Amazon. If you get suspended because of an intellectual property right complaint, you then want to do an analysis. You know, did you violate anybody's intellectual property rights? And if you did, you want to reach out to the complainant and negotiate for that complainant to withdraw the complaint. If you did not violate anybody's intellectual property rights, you want to do the same thing. But of course, you're negotiating from a position of strength because their complaint is baseless. But the goal is the same. Get that complaint withdrawn. And if you can't or there's no response, then you want to write to Amazon's notice dispute team and explain to Amazon why it should ignore that complaint, Mm. either because it's clearly baseless or there's no response or it was asserted by someone who doesn't even own the intellectual property rights, which happens all the time. So it's kind of the two main avenues of suspensions. So what happens if they don't respond? So I guess like you reach out to the person. Does Amazon give you like information like, oh, here's the dude's phone number and his his home address? Like, how do you reach out to them? Right in the email from Amazon, you will get the email address where the complaint came from. Ah, Okay. You reach out to that person or that company. Also, you can go to USPTO.gov and find out who actually owns the intellectual property rights because whoever complained may not own it. We've also seen... A spoof emails used, you know, like Joe Blow at Apple.com makes a complaint on behalf of Apple when he or she has no authority to do that. So it's another step. You want to make sure whoever made the complaint, you know, actually had the authority, actually owned something. How does the correspondence usually go? Is it like they have to respond within one business day or could it be like a 30-day thing and you're just sitting there like twiddling your thumbs for 30 days? Is there like a certain no. time frame? 30, 30 days is like a crazy amount of time. Generally, you're going to to write to the complainant, and I would say just give a day or two for a response, and either you're going to receive a response, the email is going to get bounced back, right? or you're going to receive silence. If you receive a response, you want to negotiate a withdrawal if you can. If it's either silence or it bounces back, then you want to show Amazon by screenshots, whatever you have, especially if the email that they complain from doesn't actually work, and you want to send that in a plan of action to notice dispute so that Amazon will take that off of your account. Ah, okay. And so you can get an IP complaint for just about a lot of different things, right? Because I'm actually, I actually totally forgot that I had an IP complaint way back when I way, very beginning, just started. I was selling, I don't sell anymore. So it was kind of a silly product. It was like weird beer bottle koozie thing. And it was just silly, dumb product, you know, typical kind of private label or not even private label, white labeling, whatever stuff. But right when I was getting started and I used the word koozie in the title. <laughs> and we got this IP complaint and we were like freaking out like, oh my God, we violated the patent. They're going to destroy us. Like all we have 1400 units that are all going to have to go in the trash can and that's $10,000. And we're like, oh no, this is terrible. Like, why didn't we look at the patent? And we freaked out for about three, uh, three or four days. And we sent an email to the person who issued the IP complaint. And it wasn't like a, some fancy patent issue. It was just the word koozie with a K and a Z or something like a K-O-O-Z-I-E, that's trademarked. But koozie with C, oh, whatever, something, if you spell it slightly different, you can totally use that word. Yeah, that happens all the time. 
every, I wouldn't say every day, but certainly every week we have cases very, very similar to that. And also like the way Koozie withdrew the complaint when you change the spelling, most brands are not there to kill sellers. You know, most brands just don't want their brand, you know, harmed. And they certainly don't want to put like small business people out of business and have that come back to bite them in the behind. So that resolution is very typical of resolutions that we negotiate all the time. Okay, great. And then now we're, we're addressing our IP complaints and we're sending the messages. What if somebody makes that claim and they claim something that we disagree with? So we don't think we should change it. And Amazon doesn't seem to be want to get in the whole like resolution or what we call that mitigation. So what happens if we like both talk to each other and we both fundamentally disagree on the IP complaint? If it's a close call, you're going to have a problem on Amazon. You're going to have a tough time persuading their notice dispute team to ignore that complaint. If it is a copyright issue, okay, then the sellers have a lot of power. Under the United States Digital Millennium Copyright Act, when it comes to a copyright complaint, if you believe you're right, you can serve what's called a counter notice against that complainant. And what it basically says is either sue me or your complaint goes away. Now that brand has to make a decision. Are they really going to invest the time and money to sue you? You know, when it is a close call, when your arguments, you know, have some validity to it. So usually in that type of scenario, the seller and the brand will work something out. Either you'll say, I'll change the spelling of koozie or I'll stop selling or I'll pay you a licensing fee. And there's often ways that these things are negotiated and resolved because brands, large and small, are also very fearful that a seller is going to take action that harms their sales or their account. I mean, it's so easy to trash another seller, which I think is a flaw in the system, but it's also something that brands are very cognizant of, that they don't want you asking everybody in your Facebook group to buy the product and return it because they're needlessly putting you out of business. Ah, yeah, that is a little scary to do that. That's one thing you always kind of worry about, a little bit of that retaliation stick if you start screwing other people over. Okay, so let's flip the script a little bit. Let's say I'm the brand owner and I see IP complaints and I'm telling you right now, if you make more than $100 on the internet anywhere, someone's going to come and try to rip you off. Like it's going to happen. Usually they do a terrible job trying to rip you off. So like, don't be too worried about it. And it's just one of those things. If you're mildly successful, someone else is going to try and take a little bit of that sunlight, right? But let's say I own trademarks, I own the copyrights, I own these things, and people are coming and ripping me off legitimately. I obviously don't want to do anything black hat to just screw them over, but like, how do I stop them from ripping me off? All right. I'm so glad you brought this up because this is entirely the wave of the now and the wave of the future. And every Amazon seller out there should start thinking about developing their own brand, developing your IP rights, setting up your companies in a way that you can really stop, we call them hijackers, right? When I represent the seller, they're just a third-party seller. When I represent you and it's your brand, now it's a hijacker, baby. We got to get rid of them. So what you want to do is to make sure your product comes with something that a hijacker cannot deliver. And what that does, it takes the product out of the law called the first sale doctrine that makes it so only you can deliver the product and all the benefits the product comes with to the consumers, okay? So generally what happens is you start doing really, really well, and either someone sells counterfeit products of yours, or they go to your factory, and they start buying legitimate copies of your product, right? Counterfeits are easy. You can knock them out every day of the week. If they have a gray market format of your product, then you have to add something to it 
so that when the consumer buys from you, they're getting certain benefits that they're not getting from that hijacker. And that is how you stop other people from starting to steal your sales. Like what? Like a warranty or something? Warranties that only you can fulfill. Like, for example, if you have a product and only you can take that product and bring it back to the factory and have it restored to factory specifications, hijackers can't do that. If the warranty is just money back guarantee, forget it. It's meaningless. But only you can do the repair. You can give licenses. You can include copyright material. A lot of hair care products have like storage promises. Like it's only going to be stored between 55 and 60 degrees. And a lot of it's nonsense, you know, but it works. Recalls, the promise to a consumer that if your product causes an injury and it's recalled, you will participate in that recall. And then after that, you really have to look at the product one by one. But we're really, really adept at identifying things that you can add to your product that hijackers cannot. And therefore, you take it outside the first sale doctrine, and that's how you stop hijackers. Interesting. That's cool. I never heard that recall idea. That's really cool. If you think about it, it makes a lot of sense. If, you know, let's say these headsets right, start causing problems with my hearing. The government is only going to notify the brand, not the hijackers. So only the brand can participate in the recall. And it's simple. And this whole thing about factory specifications, you don't actually have to take like this pan or these headsets and bring them back to the factory if it's not cost efficient. You just want to reserve the ability to do that. You may choose to just give them a new set of headphones, right? But the fact that you are willing to take them back to the factory and the hijacker can't do that, that works on Amazon. Nice. That's good. That's a good little ninja hack right there. So offer a recall. 100% legitimate, okay? This is not black hat. This is legitimate stuff. And if if you think about it, right? You go out and you buy a brand new car. Every car now has like the infotainment system, right? So a car with a warranty on that infotainment system that you can go back to the dealer and they'll fix it is part of the car. If you buy that same car, but you can't bring it back to the dealer to have that screen fixed, you know, it is not the same product. And Amazon brands, Amazon sellers, you call us, we can identify usually several things to add to your product that nobody else can deliver. And that's how you protect your sales. Nice. I love that. That's really cool. That's a good little tip there. Okay. So that's preventing counterfeits and stuff like that. I've also heard another idea that I, I like this idea and we, we do this as well. Don't tell the hijackers or the counterfeiters this, but I was told try when you develop your packaging, a lot of your packaging can get a copy because you can see the outside of the box, right? But what people suggest doing is writing something on the inside of the box it can make it kind of cute and playful. So like when you, you flip open the top of the box, there's a little like, hello, or like, welcome to the brand, you know, welcome to the brand family or whatever. Something like that, something kind of fun inside, right? Or even even like a red sticker, you know, just like a quality control red sticker or something like that. Something that a counterfeiter wouldn't necessarily replicate. Yeah, that's you heard very, that? very effective. And in addition to putting things sort of inside the box or in the fold, you can add some copyright material to that. You can have like a link to your website and you also need to change it up here and there because counterfeiters will do a test buy and start copying it also. But it's very, very effective. And Amazon specific packaging is something that Amazon is really into. And if you keep changing it and it's specifically for Amazon, there's something on the inside, very effective way of identifying someone who's selling counterfeit products 
or it could be a real product that's not in the Amazon-specific packaging. Now, to me, that doesn't make a difference at all, but it works on Amazon. They want you to have Amazon-specific packaging. So if you do, and it doesn't match what the hijacker's selling, it works to getting them off. Great. So now also, when someone's stealing our pictures or just like copy-paste our description in our listings, can we protect that too? 100%. You own that copyright. That is the number one source of copyright complaints on Amazon all over the internet. If you took the picture, you want to make sure you're saving it with the date that you created that picture, the date that you wrote that verbiage, you own copyright in it, and you don't actually have to register it. You own it. You just want to be able to show when you created it. Screenshots are really super helpful as you're creating your listings. Having that ah. metadata or saving the file with you know January 1st, 2020 is when I took the picture. It's very, very helpful. Oh, you just take a screenshot of you like actually making the listing? Yeah, as the listing appears. So when someone else copies and then sticks it someplace else, you can show that three months or six months earlier, you already had that verbiage on your listing. You know, copyright Uh. is anything that's captured on any semi-permanent media, okay? It basically covers everything except like scents, like uh, how things smell, because you Mm. can capture it and you, you own it without filing anything. Jingles, songs, dances pictures, verbiage, all sorts of stuff that's captured, you own without filing anything. Nice. And you know, Except so- in China. Not in China. <laughs> Except in China. That seems like that's true for all IP issues. Um, so we ended up... I learned about the copyright thing and someone mentioned that it was really cheap to get a copyright. And I thought, okay, well, maybe I'll try it. And so I had my assistant, I just told her, can you go figure it out? And she was able to actually just figure it out. There's a copyright website. It's part of the USPTO. And we can send actually the link or a copy of our books. You don't need to pay a lawyer to file a copyright. Your assistant figured out and did it. I got to tell you something. Same thing with trademarks. Trademarks, I think, have become a bit different with Amazon's IP Accelerator program. But you never really needed a lawyer to file a trademark. A lot of people hire lawyers because they're uncomfortable. Or we can just do the search better and it won't get rejected as often. But most of this stuff, you can do it yourself. Good. Yeah, it's good to know. I know. uh, So I think all the people in our space are very DIY. So I think you should definitely try to give it a shot yourself. But when you don't, obviously, you need real representation to help with a bunch of stuff. The only thing Um, I would suggest that now that Amazon IP Accelerator is where you can apply for a trademark using Amazon's approved lawyers. And instead of waiting till the trademark gets approved to get brand registry, you get brand registry immediately, even though the application is only pending. Right. So it's better than doing it yourself because you're going to get brand registry right away rather than waiting nine months. So while you can do it yourself, and I've always encouraged people to file their own marks themselves, this point in time, let Amazon's lawyers pay them the three, four, five thousand dollars, whatever they're charging. You're going to get brand registry right away, and that has significant value. Nice. Yeah, that's a good little tip there. I know that they came out with that program just a few months ago, right? Yeah, I think it was like September or so when it launched, give or take. August, yeah. September-ish. And you know, with the copyright, like I said, my my assistant figured out how to do it. And I think it's like 55 bucks to uh, copyright protect. Well, I guess you're already protected, but like to register that that protection for like 200 images or something. Like it's really, really affordable. And again, the assistant, you know, she's kind of, she's Philippines based. So she's not like, doesn't have any background in, in law or anything like that. So it's very simple. And we actually use that registration. Obviously, first of all, it's super easy. So it's not really a high risk thing, right? 
One thing that drives me nuts is that we spend a lot of time and money on photography and our graphics and stuff, and people just copy paste and just steal our stuff constantly. And it drives me insane. I probably like stress about it too much, right? But I worry about it too much. But we have my assistant goes through and spends one day each month and just sends cease and desist takedown notices to everyone who has our images. Mostly on Alibaba is the worst, but there are lots on Amazon as well. And so we just had that registered copyright. We obviously have a registered trademark. And it's honestly very simple just to send out those letters like that. And that really, I don't get all of it off the internet, but at least you can kind of, I want to be the one who's a little bit of a thorn in someone's side. Like if they're going to screw with someone, like, ah, you know, you screw with him. Like this, this guy's annoying. Let's just leave him be. Like, let's go screw with those people instead. You know, I'm glad you brought that up. Most private label brands, as you're developing your product, they have no idea how effective a cease and desist email is identifying what the infringement is, giving the seller a day or two to stop violating your intellectual property rights, 60 70% or more will just simply stop selling that product because they don't want to have any trouble with you. They don't want to risk their account being shut down. And others will call you up and say, hey, listen, I'm really sorry. I didn't realize I did something wrong, but I've got a thousand units left. Can I just get rid of my inventory or can we work out some type of licensing deal? But sellers, as you develop your brands, you have to know how to monitor them how to protect them, and the usefulness of the C&D, the cease and desist letter. Let's talk about that a little bit. So someone calls you up a thousand units and they're stealing my brand and something like, I'm, I'm very passionate about protecting my my IP. Like, first of all, emotionally, I'd be like, no, F you, right? But then on, on the flip side, you know, instead of like, let's let the emotions subside a little bit and like, okay, cool. So you have a thousand units and you have, you know, there's obviously, it probably is easier to license or whatever. Give me a suggestion for licensing your IP or potentially like signing, like setting up a contract so that maybe they pay you a dollar or something per unit. Okay. I really like licensing agreements. One, I think they're fair. Okay. You're also avoiding harming another seller and putting yourself at risk of, you know, some blowback from putting somebody out of business. It's also, you can verify the number of sales that they have. So I think it's fair. On the other hand, you know, if they're selling counterfeit products, you may not want them to put those thousand counterfeit units on because that's going to denigrate the value of your product. But as long as you're having a conversation, I think that whatever your ultimate decision is, if you treat the other seller with respect and courtesy, even if your answer is no, I'm really sorry, go back to your source and get your money back, you are lessening the risk of them really trashing your account or trashing your listing. Yeah, that's good. I like that advice. Be respectful to others, even even if you're upset at something, at some perceived slight against you, like still working with them, sort of like a business relationship. That's a really good idea. Most sellers don't want any part of infringing somebody's rights. They're just you, you know, three years ago, you know, it's on the other side of the learning curve. That's all most sellers are. You know, there are always some bad apples, but most sellers are not. Most sellers are legitimate people trying to learn the platform get that financial freedom you know, that we all seek, You know, the ability to work when we want, build up our own asset. They're not generally trying to hurt anybody. Good. I like that. That's a good mindset. Um, so any other things we should know about like Amazon account suspensions or IP complaints or anything else like that? Well, I don't want to do a shameless plug, but I'm going to. Since we help so many sellers, okay, we have so many calls and chats and emails every day. We see the trends of what's going on faster than anybody else. Like I just shot Monday's news. And what we're seeing is suspected IP issues where Amazon 
suspect sellers of violating other companies' intellectual property rights. They're not suspending the accounts, but you'll see accounts with you know, 50, 100, 200 suspected IP issues, and Amazon's giving the sellers the chance to fix the listing. So what I'm getting at is, look at our breaking news, sign up for our newsletter, check out our breaking news story every single day. It's usually less than three minutes long, where we're just telling you what we are seeing from the thousands of sellers that contact us every year. And that's at AmazonSellersLawyers.com? Yep, AmazonSellersLawyer.com or our YouTube channel, which is under the law firm's formal name, uh, Rosenbaum Familaro. Awesome. And we'll make sure to have a link to that in the show notes. And it's short. It's short. The longest one is four and a half minutes. I try and keep it under three. I know you're busy. And I just hit, these are the latest three things that are just getting to sellers right now. Good. That's great. I think that nice little three-minute digestible thing is, is a perfect thing for us to watch. So CJ, I love asking the same few questions to everyone who comes on the podcast because we're all entrepreneurs, all small business or medium-sized business people who listen to this podcast. I'm always curious what people's why is. I want to know, like, why do you do the things that you do? Like, why did you get into law and why did you get into Amazon in particular? Well, I got into law because I, I know I went to a college. It's the State University of New York at Oneonta. I loved every single day at Oneonta State. It was six to one girls to guys. Every day was great, but I oh, didn't nice. study one thing. I, I never even <laughs> had a book. And so we're graduating now and no one's going to like pay me to try and hook up with women, right? So no one had jobs. And so I applied for law school and I got in. So that's why I went to law school because nobody coming out of college had any jobs. My why about doing this is that I just love working with entrepreneurs. You know, I've always represented a handful of entrepreneurs throughout my career when I was a trial lawyer chasing ambulances. I always worked with friends, colleagues doing their entrepreneurial stuff. And then one of my clients bought an Amazon-based business. And as I'm like working my way through a divorce and a change of life, his account gets suspended and he calls me up and he talks to me about it. And it's just every single day I love. I mean, I love dealing with entrepreneurs, new angles, new products. I love to travel to meet Amazon sellers. So my why is because I just love working with entrepreneurs. This is fun. And this is great. Nice. I love that. That's a great why. Also, I love always asking someone for some piece of media, book or a podcast or something like that. Do you have a suggestion for us? Yes, I do. I just read a book. It's called Iconic. And it's about building your brand. There's a book before Iconic. I can't think of the name of it. I also love the Pocket MBA. Okay. If I was going to go back to school, if I was going to retire and then I was going to go back to school, I'd go for an MBA. But the Pocket MBA, it's like an inch and a half thick. It's got a gold cover and it hits so many different topics and it makes them so concise. So the Pocket MBA is absolutely one of my favorite books. And we do a tremendous amount of video content. Uh, production. And another book I love is called How to Build a Storyboard Brand. Ah. It's really just building a story into your brand. And as you guys build your brand, every seller, build a brand and read this book, How to Build a Storyboard Brand. It's how to market using video and why you developed whatever brand you build. Yes, I love that. So one thing I always tell a lot of the Amazon people that I meet they have this like entrepreneurial mindset, which obviously you need that. That's the most important thing, right? But I'm also... And there's a little bit of a like anti-academic traditional business idea in the community. And I'm like, 
ooh, no, like the basics of business are still really basic and important. And knowing, a, like, at least you don't have to necessarily get an MBA from a big fancy school or whatever, but like knowing a little bit of that, like basic, basic kind of econ and, and MBA 101 thing is really important. So that was the pocket MBA book, right? The pocket MBA book is sick. I've read it like five times. It's highlighted. I got notes on it. It's incredible. Also has great quotes like, you know, let's say you go for a fancy schmancy, you go to Wharton for an MBA, right? You're studying all this, you know, lofty stuff. The pocket MBA boils it down to like, I remember there's a statement in there that says, no one ever went out of business by making a profit, right? Uh (laughs) So you don't need to go to Stanford to learn that stuff. So I love the pocket MBA. Nice. That's good. So let's go ahead and end with one actual thing that Amazon sellers can do today. All right. I think what you need to do is Amazon sellers need to know the trends. Okay. Like, you know, uh, Wayne Gretzky, the hockey player, he was the best because he knew where the hockey puck was going. So you need to spend time identifying where the trends, that's number one. Number two is build your brand, build your brand, build an asset that you own. Amazon does not own your brand. They own your account, right? But they don't own your brand. Build your own intellectual property, your own trademark, your own product line. And then you actually own something that you can draw investors to. You can sell and retire eventually. So watch the trends and develop your brand. Yeah, you know, we've had a lot of episodes about branding. So I completely agree with you. And we've had a lot of episodes about branding. And I got to say that I've been pulled kicking and screaming into branding because I am engineer nerd by trade. And I'm like, no, functional. Who cares about what it looks like and how it feels and the emotional appeal of the brand? Like it should be work, it should be something that works good. You know, like that's the best part, right? And I found that, yeah, the, obviously that is important, but like the branding is also super important. People purchase with emotions. They don't necessarily purchase with their logic. And so it, I completely agree. And like learning a bit about how to build a brand and a product line and a consistent style and like that emotional appeal and that storybook idea, right? What was the book? The story how brand? To build, how to build a storyboard brand. How to build a storyboard brand. It's a red brand. and white book. The cover is red and white. It really just... Fantastic. It also gives you formats to use to get you started. Awesome. Cool. Well, I'll make sure those will be in the show notes as well. And CJ, hey, I super appreciate you being here. And I think we learned a lot. This is a really good interview. Thanks, man. Andrew, thank you very much for having me. I'm blessed to have met great people like you. And, you know, where we have conversations where we're both so into it because we love what you do. <laughs> awesome, CJ. Thanks so much.